one and we're live hey eric um thank you so much for coming on and spending your friday afternoon with us on the podcast 1 30 a.m the tagline is what keeps entrepreneurs up at nights at 1 30 a.m i'm super excited to have you man the ceo and the founder of Planswell. uh this is episode number 13 so i don't know if you're superstitious or anything but you know it just kind of came about like that and so i'm excited to have you as my 13th ever guest on the podcast eric how are you I'm great. Yeah, my first uh, my first apartment was on the 13th floor of a, of a building that most buildings don't have 13 floors, and they I don't. loved it. So yeah, 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 they don't. That's crazy. That's crazy, man. So listen, I'm 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 super excited to have you. This is obviously going to add a lot of value to biz, uh, people that are in the business right now, but also people that are starting a business. They're thinking about starting a business. The, what what I really like about you is that you're a no bullshit kind of guy. I mean, we've 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 jammed for you know a, a couple of sessions before. You were a teacher club. Uh, and I and I also love everything you're doing on social. Uh, so I couldn't pass on the opportunity to have you on the podcast and sort of let you share, you know, the, the, the experiences, the advice, the, the sort of, you know, uh, nuggets of wisdom that you can with, with first time sort of entrepreneurs, people that want to uh, uh, get in, in business. And then the other thing that really caught my attention, I would love for you to sort of talk about that a little bit is your background is actually in the corporate. Right. So you worked for a bank and a lot of people are thinking about making that transition. Uh, uh, either they're inspired by, you know, uh, uh, the social network kinds of movies or they're just watching the Sharks Tank or, you know, for whatever reason, people want to start their own businesses. They come from corporate. would love to get your thoughts on that later in the episode. But why don't you, you know, start with introducing yourself fairly quickly. So if we were jamming uh, or grabbing cocktails in your regular sort of, you know, environments before COVID and we're in the bar and I say, hey, Eric, you know, how are you? What, you know, and, and I kind of ask you, you know, what, what are you up to? Like, how, how would you introduce yourself? Man, it has been a while since a casual conversation <laughs> at a bar. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, it, yeah, that's a that's a that's a that's an interesting one. It really depends on on uh, you know who who you're talking to and how long of an intro would be appropriate. But uh, I would normally say I run a you know I work at a financial planning company. It's kind of like a tech startup um, that builds uh, financial plans for people on the internet, and that would be about it. <laughs> we <We're gonna> see <laughs> if they dig into it or not, but. Um, <laughs> And if they, if they, and if if they did, yeah, and if they did, then then what? What's your uh, the longer version? Um, yeah, if like when I get on a call, um, typically like for for a potential business partnership or an investment or something, like I have my kind of uh, three minute like life story that I tell. Should I start with that? Sure, go for it. Um, so so my like my background is in sales. Um, and and uh, and marketing at retail and b2c and and just like simple kind of emotional decisions and i'm just fascinated by human behavior and psychology and i love anthropology and uh, and geography um I, I grew up knocking on doors at age of 10 with a window cleaning company and, and university and uh sorry the age of 10 was me, me selling coupon booklets on my paper route and i got into grass cutting and snow plowing the window cleaning company was really transformational for me i had 20 kids knocking on doors selling um residential window cleaning in university. And um, uh, and then after that, I got into retail. I started a chain of loose leaf tea stores. I don't know if you got the background there. My, my Facebook was ringing. But um, but I started, I started a chain of loose leaf tea stores and shopping malls um, selling like expensive cast iron teapots to people for like Christmas presents and stuff. And, mm -hmm. and, that, and that was an amazing experience as well. And I just, I love these high frequency sales opportunities where you're just like back to back closing like dozens of people a day. Um, it just it gets me fired up and, and there's just so much opportunity to split test like the littlest detail and how you're talking to people and how you're building relationships and rapid rapport. Um, after that, I, you know, up to that point, I had been really adverse to uh, to technology because um, I just like people and, uh, and I kind of needed to to learn how to do digital marketing and, and more scalable methods of acquiring clients and serving people and creating value. And got into um, a string of uh, like affiliate marketing opportunities, uh, becoming a digital marketer on social media and, and, uh, and started my own companies. Uh, I met Scott, my co-founder at uh, Planswell. We went on a string of maybe like 10 companies that we started kind of uh, bootstrapped little offers. One was like hypnosis weight loss after meeting a hypnotist on a cruise ship. And um, we had uh, a private lessons platform, independent music distribution, all sorts of fun stuff. And Kind of uh, accumulated with uh, the Groupon campaigns in late 2010, 20 early 2011, um, 
helped Groupon expand into a few different countries, running uh, ads for them and onboarding tens of thousands of people a day and, and then helping all their competitors do the exact same thing. And when that dried up, I, I was looking for something new to do and, and decided to become an investment advisor. And so I started at CIBC Wood Gundy on Bay Street, which was a, mm-hmm. a former Merrill Lynch uh, branch. I always qualify when I'm talking to Americans. Um, and uh, I did that for a couple of years and was just blown away that it, uh, it, it takes like a whole career to get about 300 clients. And I was like, why, why can't you do that in like a day or, or in, a, in a week? Um, and, and what's, you know, what's the process of building a business as a financial planner uh, or an advisor? And, and they're like, you know, throw spaghetti against the wall, see what sticks, mm-hmm. activity's good. I'm like, hold on, you've been doing this for 150 years. You don't have a repeatable process to get new clients? They're like, no. So I was super fascinated by that and started studying it. And, uh, and, and that eventually grew into, into like, some breakthroughs that we had with with digital marketing and being able to engage people and, and solve some some questions like you know do you, do you know when you're going to get to retire what your income is going to be if you're contributing properly right now and uh, and it turns out nobody knows the answer to those questions everybody wants to know the answer and if you give them the opportunity to solve it in a few minutes on your website they'll do it um, and then you can create engaging relationships from there and and, uh, and create a lot of value for people and so we started raising money in 2016, launched it in 2017, 18, 19, did a couple hundred thousand financial plans for Canadians. Well, and uh, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how, how it got started. Of course. And, and of course you got a, a, a massive beard that I will never grow in my lifetime. So I'm going to add that to people listening. Uh, I just can't grow a beard, but I, you know, I, I, I love, <laughs> I, I love what's going on over there uh, on your side of things. So Eric, uh, amazing intro, right? And uh, you know, a lot of people obviously follow your, uh, yeah, you know, your career, your, you know, your social media. Let, let's take a little bit back. Let's take it back before Eric became Eric and, and, and you sort of, you know, exploded on the internet and you sort of became known as a, that you know, entrepreneur that raises what is it four million and forty seconds? I'd love to ask you about that later, or or forty minutes. Sorry, uh, four million and forty minutes. Uh, and I, I, I'm definitely going to ask you about that. But you know, the door to door sales and 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 your education, things like early early career wise, like you know, when you're in your twenties, early twenties, twenty five. You know, a lot of uh, people in our audience are that age. You know, what were you sort of doing? Give me, you know, give me just a quick bite of like, what were you up to when you were, you know, you know, fresh out of college, university? Like, you know, were you already entrepreneurial? Were you already sort of ripping flowers and selling them to people? Uh, or what, like, what, what, what was, what's your recollection? What's your memory? What's your, uh, what, what, what were you passionate about that, uh, uh, about at that time? You know, I, I didn't learn the word entrepreneur until I was 19 years old. Um, so I, I had done a whole bunch of stuff, but, but no one had ever explained to me what an entrepreneur was or, or what that, like what starting a business could be or anything. I was, at, I was, at, it was at college pro and it was the president of college pro that was like, you know, you're an entrepreneur. I was like, yeah. I don't know what that word is. It was just like a weird thing. Like, you know, I, cause I, I have, I, I would, I would describe myself as an entrepreneur. Um, but it was really just kind of figuring things out. It wasn't about trying to fit into a box or to follow a path. It was like, I have a bit of a chip on my shoulder and, 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 a, and a bit of an ego. And I think I always felt like a little under-respected and a little bit of an underdog in a lot of situations. So I was always trying to like prove myself. And so that, I think that was a big motivation was, uh, was trying to kind of test the limits of, of what I could achieve, but also to, to kind of like prove myself. I had a bit of an inferiority complex, I think was, was some of the kind of ingredients, but the, the key ingredient I think is the curiosity. Um, and so like whenever something was new or I didn't understand something, it was always trying to figure it out and, uh, and simplify it. And like, the, like, I'm not, you know, it's all about how, how can you explain something in like one sentence or like mm-hmm. really, really simply, like, I don't want to know something super complicated, like just, you know, what's, what's the, What's the basics here? Um, and then, and then how can I make it better? Like, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a bit irritable and I, I, I think I'm a bit more sensitive to things not being correct and a bit more particular. And I think those are kind of general traits of entrepreneurs because, like, you know, how are you going to solve massive problems if you're not hyper aware of all the problems? Right. So, um, so it's a, a little bit of that and, uh, um, yeah, having high expectations and, and it's been, uh, yeah, n- novelty is, is a key thing. Like if you look at my my career before plans, well, um, I was really unemployable. Like nobody wanted to hire me because it was like you, you do a different thing every like six months. Like you're just gonna quit this in six months. Like it's, you know, you, you have uh, someone told me I have career ADHD in an interview at one point, 
Um, <laughs> and it was like, no, I don't know. I just like, you, you, you don't want to like super commit to something that it, like you're going to, if you're going to really dive in, if you're going to raise money for something and take money from somebody, like you got to really commit like a decade of your life. Like you got to, you got to test some stuff out first. You got to make sure that's the right thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Was there something that put you on, whether that's like a key connection of yours, like maybe your family friend or, you know, somebody that, you know, exp- like shared, like, you know, gave you some exposure? Was there any one event that, or was that sort of like, you know, years and years and years of so, like so slow personal growth? And then at some point you realize, wow, I can actually do like a massive, you know, camp- company, I can raise money. Like, what? what's your, like, what, what do you remember early on? Like, what, was there any pivotal moment that you want to share? Or was that just more of a, no. just, just years and years and years and just staying in it? I was, I was actually really short on mentorship um, growing up. So I really didn't come from a family that had any entrepreneurial activities or, or any experience with that. Like, it was just kind of like, you got to go to school and you got to get a job. And like, that's it. Like my mom was a nurse. My dad was like, in uh, kind of middle management um, mm-hmm. at, a, at a you know university, so it was like, um, yeah, I didn't have that. I remember I was I was sealing my driveway. Um, I would have been like fifteen, maybe sixteen, and uh, and one of my neighbors uh, walked by. I was like a super like kind of lower middle class kind of neighborhood, middle class neighborhood, and this guy walks by and he works at a and a driveway seal, like, you know, those big tubs of, uh, like, they look like big paint cans, but they're, they're, they're black acrylic kind of driveway seal or, or coal tar. Um, the people roll it on their driveways. It's like a suburban thing that people do uh, to make their driveway black. I, I guess it, like the, the argument is that it protects your driveway. It makes it last longer too, but it's a, it's a pretty aesthetic thing. And the guy walks by and he's like, Oh, you, you know, you bought those at uh, home Depot. Like, what'd you pay? Like 25 bucks, 30 bucks. And it's like, yeah. And he's like, well, I, you know, I work at the manufacturer for that. I could, I could, I could have got it for you for five bucks. Uh, I, don't, I didn't know the guy that well. He was like, you know, 10 houses down. And it was like, oh, like, and just like a light bulb goes off. It's like, well, could, could you get me like a lot of them at five bucks? <laughs> so I was so, so, so like, I, I could sell this like door to door for 50 or a hundred bucks and, and paint somebody's driveway black. And, it, and it, so it turned into a business. I had all the kids in the neighborhood doing it and, you know, you learn some things the hard way. Like this is like highly corrosive. And if you're dry, doing driveway ceiling in August and, the, and it's hot and you're in shorts and you're getting it on your legs, like you're going to mm-hmm. get chemical burns all over your legs. Like, you, you know, you learn these things, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's really, it's really all like um, situational uh, like luck for, for a lot of it. Like the, like the hypnosis weight loss one, I was on a cruise ship and uh, this guy's they bring on talent if you've ever been on a cruise ship it's usually they come for a week right and so usually if somebody has like a, a decent show they'll do but the cruise lines are like no we need you to do like three shows and so they'll usually have like a second show that's like pretty good and then they have a third show which pretty much sucks and and they just kind of had to do it and so this guy's third show instead of doing the whole like get the audience to quack like a duck stuff like the third one was like about weight loss and 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 at the end of the session he's got this lineup down the hall for people buying his cds for his audio weight loss for like $150 uh, and people are lining up to buy this stuff. And so I wait until they're all gone. And I'm like, Hey, you ever, you ever sell this on the internet? And he's like, internet, like I live on cruise ships. There's no internet. And, uh, and so that's where that partnership started. And we ended up uh, building a pretty cool weight loss hypnosis audio website that people were paying like $80. To, <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, it's just a neat opportunity. It's like, Oh, I don't, I haven't seen people doing that before. You connect a couple dots and, and you make something happen. Yeah, so so from the people that I interviewed for my podcast, there's really two sort of uh, types of entrepreneurs that I sort of uh, came about. One is sort of this methodical, thoughtful sort of like you know I've you know I've been in this industry, this is what, how things work. You know, I see the opportunity, sort of like these legal tech, insurance tech, you know, uh, uh, types of people that just know this, and then that's that's essentially what they work on, and then and then they start a business around that. Uh, and then there's other people, people that taste a lot, people that would jump at any sort of opportunity, you know. Uh, uh, like in your case, the light bulb went off and you'd like, oh, you know, can you get me more? Or like, you know, I, I can sell these door to door. Like, you know, just being on a cruise and seeing that there is no specific industry. There is no, like, there's nothing constrains you. You're sort of more of a, more of an, like an operator. You, you, you see the opportunity and you're thinking, how can I execute rather than what the, like, can, is it fair to say that the idea is less important to you than execution? Like, where do you stand on that spectrum of idea, you know, what, what you're working on versus what you actually, like, you know, how you actually go about um, uh, executing that. 
Yeah, a lot of the motivation is is financial. Like a lot of it comes out of desperation. Um, like I said, I'm I'm, I'm pretty unemployable. Like you know, today I'm, I'm probably a bit more employable, but uh, but before I did plans well, and before I actually like made a company that was, you know, fairly serious. Um, yeah, I don't I don't I don't know what I would have done. Like I went to a recruiter one time, and they're like, yeah, we can't find you a job. Like what are you gonna do? Like <laughs> like I could do sales jobs. I've you know I've sold cars and I've I've sold stuff, but. Uh, um, so I had to figure something out, right? Like I had to figure out a way to create value and, and to be able to, you know, charge people for it and, and make mm-hmm. people's lives better. And so I was constantly looking for, for what that was going to be. That, that was the biggest, yeah. Like I didn't grow up with a lot of money. Like my, my parents weren't like hard done by, like we had, we had a cottage that we shared with family and, you know, they had a fractional kind of boat and all this stuff, but like the financial stress was there. Like I knew, mm-hmm. I knew, uh, I knew what, you know, Wednesday, Wednesdays, you know, there may not be that much food in the house. And like Thursday was grocery day, but like, you know, some adults would call that payday. But like, there, I was aware of, of what money meant um, at a very early age and that I needed to get it. Yeah, yeah. And just to clarify, like you weren't driven by, you know, let me buy a boat or, you know, make millions of dollars. Yours was more of a survival, right? Like you were finan- you were driven yeah. financially, but not to that extreme, but more of a, you know, I need to provide for my family. I need to provide for myself. And, you know, I need, I, you know, my kids, you know, obviously need education at some point. And so you're thinking about all these things and you're not necessarily, you know, launching businesses just so you can get rich quick. It's more of a survival thing. So I respect you for that, Eric. Uh, what was the motivation, if you don't mind me asking of, uh, you know, sort of after, and I, I assume you worked on certain ventures and then, and then you jumped into a financial planning. Uh, I mean, getting that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a job, uh, right? You get a job at the bank, uh, but I assume you're sort of like self-employed-ish because I know the way it works is everybody's got their own book uh, and then you sort of go about, you know, uh, getting your own clients and you're just relying on the, you know, the, the underlying infrastructure of the bank to sort of, you know, uh, uh, do administrative stuff, but you're essentially, you, you eat what you kill, right? So you, you, mm-hmm. you're out and about getting your own clients. Uh, and by the way, you know, I've spent, you know, a couple of years in Bay Street myself and wealth management. So I, I, I'm very familiar with what you're doing. Uh, but what was the motivation really? Like, is that, you know, you, you're, you're selling these CDs and you're doing you know, all these things. And then you just decide like one day, you know, you want to, you know, become proper financial planner. Like how, how did that come about? Yeah, it's a, it's a bunch of like, it's a string of startups and a string of sales jobs and, you know, self-reflection. I mean, like, what am I, what am I good for? I've, been, I've done all these startups. They don't usually make money. I had made I had made a good amount of money doing Groupon. That was like the peak of my earnings career. I was making like some some days I made like six seven thousand dollars profit a day. Wow! Um, it was it was it was amazing. And so then I start buying and flipping houses and <laughs> investing in the stock market. And uh, and I'm you know I, I've always liked the stock market. That's what I mostly did in university in classes. Um, mm-hmm. Was just kind of manage my own stock portfolio and, and quest trade or whatever. And mm-hmm. um and then I and then I, I guess I hadn't I didn't know. I don't know how I learned this, but uh, I, I learned around yeah 2010, 11 when I was tr- starting to look into this stuff. I asked uh, like a friend, you know, how do you become an investment advisor? I knew I knew somebody who was an investment advisor. It turns out that investment advisors at the big banks, the top, the top investment advisors, earn more than the CEOs of the banks. Mm-hmm. Like the highest earning people at the biggest financial institutions are the top advisors. I didn't know that mm-hmm. uh, until you know 2010, 11. So I was like, okay, well, this is a job that you don't need a degree for. You don't really get a boss. You could do whatever you want. If you're really good at it, you make more than the people that really suck at it. And it evolves around making good financial decisions and investing, which is something that I'm particularly curious about and, and seem to be pretty decent at. Like it, it seemed like it, it would be a good fit for me until, until I you know, got into the interview process which was really where I learned about what the job was. And they were like, this doesn't look like a good fit for you. Like you got to commit to this for like 20 years. And like, you can't use the internet. Like you can use like the phone and the phone book. And in my mind, when I remember that meeting with like one of the top guys before I was getting the approval, I feel like there was a phone book on his desk and he was like tapping it. And he's like, you can use this and you can use this. And he taps like the phone, but I don't think he actually did, but that's just my memory. Um, <laughs> But, but but they were like very adverse to me doing anything. Like my whole idea when I went in was like, look, like you guys are idiots. I can reinvent this and like you know standard like rookie arrogance, right? Like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be better than everybody else, and and I wasn't. But uh, but but they were like, we like your energy. We don't like any of your ideas. Um, but, but you can have a job, sure. Because <laughs> it doesn't cost them anything, right? Do you you essentially is there a salary component or is it purely commission? Like the trailing there, there was a salary. There was a base salary of 50K, which which at the time for me was unbelievably high. Like I've uh-huh. never I had never made anything like that in my life. Um 
And and it was so interesting. There was this really interesting aspect of this where a friend of mine who had also run a window cleaning company was also fairly entrepreneurial, like very, very similar to me profile wise at the time was trying to get a job as a bank teller um, because, you know, neither of us were particularly employable. Um, and so it was like a fairly entry level thing. And he really wanted a job as a bank teller. And he had tried it like nine different banks. And uh, and it was it's a really hard job to get a job as a bank. teller. I would never have tried to do that. But it was the exact same time that I was trying to get this job as an investment advisor, which is like a level eight out of nine on the HR scale at the banks. Because it's like a high, you know, prestigious kind of role. And there was only two people that applied for that role. And so I got the job. Like it was like a very, it was a very easy thing. And it just kind of, it's just so neat to, to look at that and just remind people like reach, reach for things. Like, you know, yeah. some people don't ask for the, for the top job that everybody thinks that they're competing for, you know, that they should be at the bottom there. And it's like, I just thought that was neat. I, I love the scrappiness. Um, I think by now, you know, 20, 30 minutes into this interview, you know, you're, you're, you're very like, I can, I can point out from, from, from outside, from a third party, like from, you know, uh, kind of outside looking in um, a perspective that, you're a very different type of person from a lot of entrepreneurs that, 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 you know, that I've interviewed that, that energy, that sort of like, you know, just, just, you're not overthinking things. It sounds like you're just going for things. You're trying things, you know, the, 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 the playbooks that other people written before you don't scare you. Uh, you kind of just come into it with an open mind and ask questions, ask a lot of questions and, and don't, you, you know, you're not afraid to sometimes look stupid or like, you know, like you, what, what you said, which is, you know, your ideas weren't very liked at, but, but, you know, but they liked your energy and everything else. So, you know, I, just for people listening, like, I just wanted to highlight that because what I'm taking away from, from this right now, and I'm, I'm very much the kind of person that needs to sit down and think a lot. Like I, I would like analyze, like I'll do my research, like I'll just, I'll ask, I'll enter, like I'll, I'll, I'll talk to hundred people and I'll learn and then I'll say, okay, can I fit myself into this, you know, a uh, 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 box and then sort of figure out a way to operate it and, and then expand it over time. But for you really, you're just kind of that, you know, that, that person that just comes in and just figures it out. I, I, I love it. I love it. Um, and then, you know, I, I'm guessing um, at some point working at the financial institution, you're sort of saying, well, you know, I have all these ideas, but I can't really do anything because the bank is the bank. Um, let me go out uh, outside of this and just do, do it myself, like ju just create a you know, plan as well, which essentially, you know, provides that same product, but, but using your own ideas. Like, was that, was that the, 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 the thought process? Uh, what, what do you remember? Yeah. Well, I land in this like archaic business model that's filled with people that have been there for decades and that have in many cases not really had any other experiences other than this track that they're on in life. And uh, and I had just come like literally like months before had just come off this campaign expanding Groupon into Brazil and the UK on boarding tens of thousands of people a day and every other uh, daily deal company. And before that was like working with hundreds of companies with their, with their client, like with their new user acquisition and lead generation through online marketing and all these other startups. And so I come in with this, this bizarre eclectic mix of experiences and, and insights into how other companies acquire new clients. And I, and I get, I land here and I'm just like, this is like, this is just ridiculous. Like this is ridiculously archaic. It's not serving clients. Well, the software sucks. The everything sucks here. Like this, which is just like the general like demeanor of like an entrepreneur, <laughs> like it's super irritable. Um, but, uh, but that's where the fireworks start going off. And it's like, let's try this, let's try that. And, and I tried like a million things that, that didn't work. And, yeah. um, and then started to, you know, figure out the seminar model where, where people were like, the typical model was that people were inviting people at the seminars. They were doing direct mail. They were inviting them to fancy steak dinners, then meeting up at coffee shops and collecting information and then having an associate build a financial plan and then presenting it and then fixing it and building it again. And present. This, this model takes like over a month to, to onboard a client and they have to be extremely high net worth um, because you, you just wasted like a month of your life trying to work on this with them. So you got to make their, make your money back. Um, and, and so I tried to make that better. Uh, so I had like teams in the Philippines doing telemarketing to like local neighborhoods, inviting people to less expensive restaurants and trying to, trying to make it more scalable and lower cost to get people into that um, kind of funnel. And that works, um, but it's not particularly scalable because it's still expensive to host like an event at a restaurant and, and you know, not all advisors want to be public speakers. And um, so I had some fun with it, but, uh, but really it just came down to like, what if we could just engage people over the internet, get them to, you know, provide all their information, build a plan before you even talk to them. 
like what would that be like and it's like well you'd be able to serve so many more people it wouldn't just be for for the high net worth it would be for anybody anybody could figure out you know how much like how much they could should be contributing to different registered accounts or what kinds of insurance they need and how to manage you know balancing out debts and interest interest rates and stuff and, and i think this could all be automated and, and and it turns out people had, had a big appetite for that and so I, f- I figured that out while i was working that came up like you, you were asking at the beginning you know, for people that are in corporate that are in big jobs and they want to do something entrepreneurial and, and a lot of people that i talk to in that kind of position have this mindset that like you have to make the, you take the leap like the concept of taking the leap is like a the, the, it's just wrong like it's not what happens at all like you can do so much in your spare time you can get so far with a company before you take the leap. Like by the time you quit your job, you should be able to have your complete income replaced with this new thing. Like you can do a lot of testing on the side. And like 95% of the time when you're doing testing, it's not going to work. So like if you take a leap, meaning like get rid of your salary to start at day one on some new idea, like that's a recipe for disaster. Like you don't, you don't need to do that. Like you, you can you can blend it in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I, so when I was at the bank, I, we, had, we had figured out completely all everything we needed to know. We knew 100% that this was going to be a success story before I left uh, my official career mm. as an advisor. This time you were a little bit more cautious. You actually like did a lot of research while you were still in the bank. You were already talking to customers and offering them this different service, but not under the bank banner. You would say, hey, I'm working for a bank, but I'm thinking of doing this other thing. And this is like, going to be better for you. Um, you know, would you be interested? And then presumably they said yes. And then you kind of, you know, uh, uh, got them in and, 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 and went from there. And, and so like, you know, how many customers did you have before you started building technology? I mean, you know, right now I'm assuming the entire financial plan is done automatically, but at that time, would, you know, were, did you already have some sort of an MVP or was that all done by people drafting plans and, and, and then presenting them with them? Um, how far did you actually go before building? Yeah, there's a there's a few like pretty standardized steps in, in building a company, you know, quote, like the right way, um, meaning like protecting yourself from just wasting all your money building product that no one's ever going to use. But like it starts out with with the problem interview. Um, so we did hundreds of problems of problem interviews with everybody that was on the original kind of team, um, which is just meeting with people and talking to them about, you know, their experiences in financial services and what they like, what they don't like, like what, what they wish could be better. And it's nothing to do with your idea. And then another, you know, meeting with people to actually talk about the idea and then a ton of testing in digital marketing to see if, will they click our ads? Will they, and then if they click, then build a landing page. Don't build the landing page before mm-hmm. they click. What's the point? Once they're clicking, build a landing page. On the landing page, there's a button. The button doesn't go anywhere until people are actually clicking it. And then you build where it goes, right? And so you do kind of step by step. Um, but yeah, we had, we had a pretty built out uh like a high degree of confidence that we would be able to get a lot of people to, to build financial plans with us. And then we'd be able to serve them effectively if we built the right technology. But, but that was, a, it's a bigger build, like building, building like a, a really robust system that costs, you know, millions of dollars to do. It does like 40 million calculations. Like it really optimizes like a, mm-hmm. a very good financial plan for people in like three minutes flat. Um, so we knew we'd have to build that, but we, so we did a lot of work before, we wrote the first line of code to make sure that we were going to be doing the right thing. Can you really quickly give me some timelines, uh, sort of like, you know, the, the, you know, six months doing this and then three months doing that. And then another sort of like, just for people to understand really how long did it take for you to get that confidence? And then, and then after you got your confidence, how long did it take for you to actually pull the trigger on, you know, let's automate everything and make this highly complex. And and I'm also assuming that you need, you needed to raise capital for that too. Like maybe, maybe give a little bit of, the context on what 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 it took uh, uh, sort of you know like in, mm-hmm. in timelines and, and just yeah yeah so the the first breakthrough figuring out that people would click on ads and answer tons of questions because they're curious about their financial future was in 2012. And in 2013, I was selling all kinds of different marketing ideas and services and seminars and leads and stuff to advisors and getting feedback and learning about this. And this was before any technology was built. This was, this was not like people actually getting digital answers. It was humans actually taking the information and calling them and giving them insights. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that the next step like logically would need to be to, to build software that would actually produce the plan. And that was, that was like an insurmountable task. It was like, we were like, at the time we we're like, it's going to cost a million dollars. It ended up being like 10 million, but like, wow. <laughs> uh, but, but it was like, we knew, we knew like everything else I had built up until that point in my life was like a $10,000 bill, $20,000 bill. And it was like self-funded, you know, and, and my, my business partner, Scott was, uh, had, had a pretty good income working on the oil fields and, and doing all the technology stuff in the evenings and weekends. And, and uh, 
So it took a while to, to wrap our head. Like I did a couple other jobs and a whole other startup in between, uh, help, help my friend start this company. He hit like gold on this, uh, uh, getting refunds on hydro bills for, for, uh, like apartment buildings and stuff. And so mm-hmm. I jumped into that for a few months with him and he, he made like millions of dollars and it was as, as, all the time. I'm, this is like a nagging thing in the back of my head. I'm like, we, we have this kind of really, really valuable IP that we, we can engage people with that, that no other financial institution has kind of figured out. And, um, but, but in order to, turn it into a business like we have to you know be, figure out how to make money and that's that's going to be like do the full service like actually serve the, the clients and you got to build brokerages and software and and we don't i've never raised money in my life for anything I, you know very adverse to taking money from people because mm-hmm. it's a huge commitment you can't let them down and uh and so it took all the way to 2015 um where when i met some people that uh i met this one guy and and it was kind of like a job interview, really. It was like seeing if I could do some work with them. And, and he kind of like pitched us. And then I kind of pitched him on what I thought we should do, you know, and he got so excited and was like, I can raise you a million dollars. Like, no problem. Cause this is, this is the problem. I was telling everybody, I need a million dollars to do it. I don't, I don't know how to do that. And uh, he's like, I'll get you a million dollars. And uh, he, he came pretty close. Uh, to, he, I think he raised us like 700,000, like really, really early on. And, uh, and that's what really got us started. So in 2015, it was like, okay, I think we could raise the money. So now what do we have to do? And so it was like a whole bunch of meetings and it ended up eventually it was like a half days on Fridays. And then it was like every Friday. And it was like an ad agency with like just a group of different people meeting together. It was a long time. And that's when we were doing all the problem interviews and the research and, and a lot of stuff happened. Like we had already, we had raised money, got an office and, and we're already working full time before we wrote our first line of code. Like there was tons of research that went into it. And that, that's something that we had learned and the group that we were building it with, you know, had all learned our own through our own uh, backgrounds. It's like one of the biggest pitfalls I see in a, earlier entrepreneurs, they jump in. This was myself as well early on is, is uh, you, you have an idea and you know, you could build the solution for the problem that you perceive. You don't know if people are going to buy, you don't know exactly how you're going to sell. You don't know what the price is. You don't, there's a lot of unknowns, but the thing you do know always is that you could build software Mm-hmm. that would theoretically solve this problem that you think exists. Like that's a certainty. If I throw money at software, software will appear. Everything else is a very uncertain yeah. outcome. So people will hyper-focus on that and they'll go and they'll build and they'll spend their yeah. own money. And they, yeah. I got to build an MVP. I got to build, I build this wrong. Like that's the last thing you do is build software. Um, and so we did that right this time, which was, uh, which was another way around. You, you've done everything but the software until until you basically had. And I, I I love you for saying that because you know a lot of people do this that right now this that that other way around where you 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 come out you you design you build and and then somewhere you realize wait a second I actually haven't spoken to a single customer I I, I got so busy you know pitching fundraising you know building software like you know creating pitch decks and all that that I've never actually delivered you know, like you know a service or whatever to a client. So I think that's that's really important for people to take away from this and then this whole you know notion of you know raising for for a million and 40 minutes can you can you speak briefly on that because i remember you on on t club with the cell and you know you were just kind of you know i i i i i think i i i wrote a comment saying i'll buy that book if you ever write it because i i i would i would love to learn that that just sounds amazing but obviously there's a lot of work that went into it now we know um what's what was the like what was the conversation like when you went into that room and 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 and, and how much traction did you have uh, whether in terms of numbers or clients or anything else you want to share like that would just create context around this uh answers yeah yeah well you, you, a light bulb kind of thing went off earlier on when you said like look you're you're trying to like make money to to eat not not just to get rich quick and, and i thought like i've been trying to get rich quick for for like 20 years <laughs> like, one day it's gonna look like i did um but but yeah it's, it's a it's a long path and it's the same thing with that like i've pitched i was trying to do the math on the other day it's it's over it's it's around like probably 800 to a thousand actual investors and i've and i've actually pitched the company over 2000 times wow um and so one of those times the guy gave us four million dollars after a 40 minute pitch um and it was like a really cool experience obviously and it was very exciting but uh but yeah to to to, to paint the picture of like this like this little kind of glimmer of massive success like in isolation is is not uh is not fair um, but, but yeah, no, it was, we, we had already raised three or $4 million, maybe it was like closer to $5 million or something like that. And then we went into uh, to a presentation and 
met with this giant portfolio manager that manages like $7 billion or something. And he doesn't have a lot of time. And it was him and his team and sat down, gave the, gave the pitch for like 30 minutes, no deck, nothing, just talked. And, uh, and he was just like, I think I'll do this deal. And it was like, all right. And then his like associate called the next day and was like, yeah, we'll do the deal. And it was, it was actually for 3 million. And, uh, and on the call, I was like, Oh, that's, that's sweet. Um, could it be four? And he was like, let me check. And then he hangs up and he calls me back like 20 minutes later. He's like, yeah, 4 million is no problem. And so then we raised $4 million. And that was, was, that that his, was, the, the, was, was that his own money or was that uh, his company? It was, it, was, it was a fund. It was a, it was a, uh, it was a fund. Yeah. Um, other investors, but uh, yeah. And th then the paperwork happens and it's like a hundred thousand dollars of legal fees and closing costs. And it's like a huge amount of work and you got to involve new shareholders yeah. agreements, governance agreements. It's, it's a huge disaster after that, but but yeah, the, the initial decision was made uh, in like with, with 30 minutes of FaceTime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Eric, I, I want to take the last five minutes to sort of ask you about the, the uh, very important thing that happened to Planswell, which is, you know, uh, I, I read an article somewhere that, you know, said that there were certain um, uh, allegations about your company and, and, and things that were going on behind the scenes. And, you know, I, I, can, I cannot confirm that or, you know, uh, uh, share more, but, um, what was going on and like what because i think you had to shut down your company um for a little That's while right. and then you came back and now you're doing more of a b2b uh, uh but can you speak a little bit about what was going on uh, you know yeah definitely it's uh that, that was definitely the most traumatic thing i've ever dealt with like in my life really um and I mean, every time i say that i remember like my dad died in a car accident when i was 17 from like a drunk driver and so like obviously like it's kind of strange to be comparing things but but man it was traumatic so um it was uh so so 2019 uh we we were expanding internationally we we were learning uh, testing out a new business model where we would partner up with financial advisors in different different countries so that they could serve clients a little bit more appropriately and, and kind of know the ground rules and and, uh, and use their own infrastructure. And, and we would focus on the, the digital service part of like helping them with the plans and understanding it and onboarding them. And, uh, and that was working really well. We launched it in a few different countries. We're ready to launch it in a whole bunch of other countries and uh, we needed to raise some money to do it. Our company had always been a very high burn like more cliche tech startup, you know, once we, once we figured out how to raise that money and then the 4 million came in and then another 6 million came in and it was, you know, it was a pretty exciting run, but it was very, very high burn, very low revenue. And there was a lot of R&D happening and, and it was it was all looking very, very positive. But uh, but it, it puts you in a really fragile state when you're super dependent on the next uh, fundraise. Like there's always a, there's always a date in the future where you're going to end, uh, and run out of money. It's going to end. And whenever we raise money, these these like like I just mentioned, like the hundred thousand dollars closing costs and it takes months. Like it's a huge amount of work to put around together. This, this so we were working on the biggest round ever. It's twenty two million dollar round like 10 million that's supposed to be coming in from China, term sheets done and big strategic investors in the US joining in with existing strategic investors, gotta make sure everybody plays nice, got some money coming in potentially from Europe and, and the whole thing was coming together. And and uh, and two weeks before uh, closing, um, there's, there's an anonymous blog post that hits the internet about uh, an inappropriate relationship that happened in 2018 between uh, two, two of the people on our team. And, and, uh, and this was a situation that, we had dealt with nine months earlier is when we, when we learned about it uh, from uh, from some Twitter kind of tweets of a, of a former employee accusing a, a current employee at the time of, of sexual harassment without providing any detail. And we were trying to figure out what the details were and hired a third party investigator and, and talked to our law, law firm and our, our big strategic investors and, and you know, financial institutions, everybody, everybody kind of leaning in to make sure like, how, how do we deal with this perfectly? How do we how do we, you know, help everyone in, in the best way possible and get the best possible outcome? And we, I honestly th thought that we had dealt with it really well. Um, I've learned a lot in hindsight about how to how to handle these things a little bit better. It's so tricky because the, the two people involved were both reporting to me, doing one-on-ones, like personal one-on-ones with me for for like years. So I knew them both very very well. Was not aware of any of the of the kind of accusations that later came out. And even at the time, trying to deal with it, wasn't aware of what the accusations were. And uh, and yeah, and so so we had, you know, it got dealt with, he left the company, there was neither of them were at the company anymore. And, and it was kind of resolved. And we did a lot of work with our team and had already been doing work with our team. Like we were, we were always very focused on culture and inclusivity and creating safe spaces for people and having the right culture in the company and avoiding like the cliches of, uh, you know, the 
tech uh, industry can can fall into like I, i'm i'm i've been sober 15 years and have four kids and one of our co-founders was a mormon and it was like, it was a different vibe like we were definitely like down to business and, and people really appreciated that and no one left our company back in january 2019 when that was going down and no one no one quit over the the kind of scandal in uh in, i guess it was the end of september early october in 2019 but uh but yeah so th- this this blog post came up nine months later and and uh kind of made it a much more public event and uh and it was it was something that was very you know difficult to deal with um and uh we could have done so much better but we had no resources we were totally out of money so we had all these like you know normally what a company does is they drop hundreds of thousands of dollars immediately on a giant pr crisis firm and we talked to like a couple of them and people were reaching out and trying to give us advice and stuff but everything was like so much money and we didn't have any money we were just we were, we were two weeks away from closing on uh, on a million dollars to to give us the money to get the round together, um, and uh, so we we stayed a lot quieter than we probably should have, and should have made better statements and stuff. And we were internally we were just uh, yeah man it was a crisis for sure, and so we we didn't know what to do, and it was it was really tough. And so yeah, it ended up the the check got pulled, and and uh, we couldn't uh, couldn't keep funding the company, and which is understandable. Like everyone that was involved in funding it was. Uh, you know, big brands and stuff, and like it's not it's not worth their time to to get involved in in, uh, in controversy. So um, they they uh, justifiably stepped back, and and that was it. We had to shut the company down. It was it was awful. So we transferred out all the clients and and all the team had to go get jobs elsewhere. And then we were oh. sitting around, and and uh, you know when a company goes down like that, you can like the the assets get auctioned. Um, so you can. Uh, uh, you can buy, and there's like five companies trying to buy uh, the client list and, and the technology and stuff. And uh, we actually really, we really didn't think we were going to be able to buy it. Um, we thought we knew who was going to buy it, and and uh, um, and so we started to think about. I was starting to think like, what else am I going to do? Am I going to consult? Am I going to become a sales coach? Like, what am I going? I'm really unemployable, right? We talked about this. <laughs> so, um, but but the opportunity came up to go and bid on it, and, and we ended up getting the all of the assets. So we, we bought the technology and the brand, and nobody obviously wanted the brand at that time. But uh, um, so it was it was a pretty pretty easy thing to acquire, and and then uh, and then start start up again. So we started completely fresh in, in 2020. I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my clock. I know we had until 1.45, but if you have a couple of more minutes, I would love to hear what yeah. you're doing now. And, you know, kind of, um, obviously, like, <clears throat> I, uh, I don't know what to say. I, I can only imagine the amount of pain because, you know, the, the, um, just the emotions that you went through and very few people really, really understand. And of course, I want to be sympathetic towards both of the people involved in this, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, situation. Um, but, you know, their personal sort of, you know, uh, issues, uh, you know, aside, you're building a company and you are finally getting to the point where, you know, you, you know, you build something valuable, you employ a lot of people, a lot of people rely on you, right? I don't think, I don't, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't think a lot of people really understand that side of things. It's not just about you making money and, you know, growing a business at whatever valuation. You had so many employees that, made their daily income, you know, uh, you know, by working for Plunswell. And on the other side, you had clients that, you know, you, you, you've earned, you know, you fought really hard to earn their trust. And then, you know, um, uh, they came in and, you know, they, 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 they shared their financial uh, uh, information with you and, and trusted you managing that. And then just one event like that, you know, um, completely tanks the entire company and years and years of hard work uh, that you and your, those employees and everybody else involved, the shareholders, you know, and the, you know, that had to put, put into this. I mean, I would probably disappear from the face of the earth if that, if that was me. I don't know how I would have handled that, but you relaunched the company. You, you know, gathered back and maybe, you know, it took some time off. That's understandable, but you, you, you've gathered, you know, strength back and, and, and then, you know, you relaunched the company. Uh, uh, Talk to me about that because I don't think there's any you know other person like yourself that I've ever met that you know not only not only you know relaunched the company after such a such an epic you know uh, uh, event uh, but you also relaunched successfully which which means you get you know you got clients and you you know you you've built another technology and 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 you got employees and now you, you how many people work uh, uh, with you right now Eric? We're at about thirty five full time at the moment. Tell me about it. Tell me, tell me yeah. from that from that day that you sort of came back and and just just for where you are today. I really would love to know you know more about that um, process. Yeah. Well, you know what? A big factor in restarting because yeah, definitely disappearing um, 
is an appealing idea. I was completely broke. Um, we, we had been uh, like, I had my salary cap from our first investors the whole way through. So I never, never made a hundred thousand dollars in a year in my life. Like I was always, you know, trying to support four kids and, and my wife's at home with the kids, but, uh, um, but yeah, the, the, something that doesn't get talked about a lot is the, the other investors. So like we, we you hear a lot about the big investors, the $3 million check, the $4 million check, the $5 million check. Um, we had something like 80 something people uh, cut personal checks, like, like 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, 50,000. Um, and these were like a lot of personal relationships and not, not that I had like a network going into it, but like, these are people that I met along the way and developed personal relationships with. And some of them were my, were my friends. And I felt like a lot of the times when they're cutting a check, like I, they're really, they were really cutting, they were really investing in me. Like the, the level of due diligence that was done on most of those investments was non-existent. Um, it was really like, you know, I, I think what would happen, what happened in their head was like, I like this guy, I like this Eric guy, he's, you know, pretty uh, convincing. It sounds like he knows what he's doing. I don't really understand what he's doing, but I'm going to give him my money because he says, you know, things are going to happen with it. Um, and so it was, it was me personally letting those people down, at least in my mind um, when, when, when everything went down. So that, there was a huge motivation came from that to like make it right. Um, so like we, could we, we reset up the new company right away. We knew we were going to build a new company before we got the assets officially. Um, we structured the whole company uh, and gave 130 people um, shares in, in a new kind of hold co that would own uh, the, the same kind of percentage ownership in, in the new company. Um, and that, that included all the former employees that were, were part of the company when it went down and everything. So that, that was a huge like motivator in, in building the business this time was to, to make it right for people. So that, yeah, disappearing was not really an option. I could, I didn't have the money to disappear. Like I had to have to start something else up anyways, you know, get an income. And, um, but, uh, but mostly it's, uh, um, you know, we got to make it right. We got to, we got to fix, fix the, the, the universe here. So, um, so yeah, we started a company, we launched it, it as actually last week, a year ago, la last week, um, was our first dollar in revenue, first advisor that we onboarded. And we started, we started a different, slightly different model where we were partnering with advisors, uh, locally, because we didn't have the resources to start another robo advisor, mortgage brokers, insurance brokers, we're like, let's just stand it up, partner up with other people that have the stuff that is needed to actually serve the, the users. And, and, uh, and let's see if, uh, if those partnerships can make economic sense to, to grow into a business. And it turned out like right off the bat, it was like a huge, huge success right out of the gates. So we, we were up to 30 people by September um, with, with more revenue than we had ever had before in a totally different business model. We had never taken a dollar of revenue from a financial advisor in the old company. And in this company, it was the, that was the only revenue stream. And, um, and then we launched in the US in October um, and we had never worked in the U.S. before, and uh, the U.S. is now double the size of our Canadian business, and it's uh, it's just growing ridiculously fast, and and uh, it's very exciting. It's very profitable. Like it's very like we're not we're not we have we raised three hundred thousand from from a few kind of like friends that had invested in the previous company, but uh, um, before we even launched, but we haven't raised money since then, and uh, don't don't uh, don't need to, and that's a that's a cool feeling. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And so when you relaunched, was that just you or did you manage to bring some people that were involved with you in the previous in the previous version of that business uh, back and sort of convince them to stay even despite, you know, the fact that you didn't have uh, capital yeah. at that point? Um, yeah, so Scott, Scott and I have worked together on every kind of company since 2009, like 10 companies together. And he was our COO at the last company. So he, he and I are back in the same roles. And then Craig was our head of engineering at the, at the former company. So he, it was the three of us, Craig, Scott, and I that, uh, that relaunched it. And then, and then like right away, like 10 more people came back from the old company. They had all got other jobs, they quit them and came back. To oh my God. That's a great feeling. On the, That's yeah. a great feeling. Eric, I, I can, I can keep you on this forever. You're such a, such a treasure trove of real life experience and advice. And I wish this conversation could go on longer, but I do want to respect uh, uh, your time. And so I, I, I want to wrap it up with, you know, the, the, the theme of this, this podcast is 1.30 a.m. You know, what keeps you up at night kind of thing. Uh, uh, yeah, and the name came from me basically staring at the ceiling for so many days and just realizing, you know what, I, I want to talk to other people because, you know, talking to other people about your problems usually makes those problems seem a little bit smaller and less significant that they are. Um, but, you know, uh, despite all that, 
I uh, I just want to ask you for you know for people starting businesses today and like you know just the the the, the audience that that we have, which is you know first time founders and and entrepreneurs and, and even some people from the corporate background switching uh, uh, into entrepreneurship. Um, you know, what would be sort of your you know advice or you know uh, uh, themes, if you will, uh, that you know we should be paying attention to? What would be sort of your 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 thing? Because I, I I saw you also did a little bit of a uh, I think mentorship and advisory for for youth entrepreneurs, like uh, uh, you know some uh, uh, organization that you know uh, uh, fostered you know innovation and entrepreneurship in, in, in kids and, and and youth. Like, what would be your advice to people that are starting businesses right now? Um, um, uh, um, you know, whether that's coming from your personal sort of like, you know, uh, 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 opinion mm-hmm. or things that you've learned or just the bitter experiences that, that you kind of, you know, stumble into and, and now you just want to share that, like, what would be your advice uh, or pieces of advice that you, you want to share? I think, yeah, I think like working on the mindset of being grateful for the times and the experiences that most people in society want to avoid completely. So like the failures, the rejections, like the hardships, the crises crises um if you like i took it's taken a lot of practice and i don't really i kind of i think i've self kind of figured this out obviously there's like lots of books about this but i kind of came to these conclusions myself over the years and i've read a lot that have just kind of um, validated that and i've been through you know i've went to rehab and i've been through uh um like a lot of counseling and stuff you know you learn about these in these like group therapy groups but uh but but the the concept of gratitude like gratitude is uh, people you know are fairly aware of this um you know, do daily gratitude journaling and like, just be grateful for things. And that's just going to overall raise your like, you know, experiences in life. Um, but, but actually if you can get to that point where you're, you're sincerely grateful, like to in, inside yourself, like just to yourself, like you're sincerely grateful when something bad happens, it's easy to look back. So it starts with looking back at my past, look back at my past, look at the, the transformational things that have happened to me. It, you'll find the commonality is that they were the most excruciating things that you went through. Those are the best learning experience, the failures, the rejections, like that, that's what motivates you. When you look at like, why am I, if I'm in a place right now where I'm like relatively happy and glad that I'm here, um, I wouldn't be here without everything that's happened in my past and the most emotionally intense experiences. Generally people are you know, not so happy about having those, but if you can look back and say, I'm glad that I had those, that's fairly easy. So you can start to focus on, I'm grateful for that experience. I'm grateful for that experience. It's led me to be where I am today. It's given me the, the, you know, the, the, the selection of experiences that I can draw from when I'm connecting dots and coming up with new ideas and moving forward in life. So if, if you can do that enough, you start to get to the point that when something acute happens, that is t- like horrific, like, like when our company was going down and I could see it coming, it was like a s- slow motion, but also quite fast motion train wreck. The whole thing was blowing up over the course of about two weeks. And I, and I knew that that's what was going to happen. I was actually able in some of those moments to be grateful for what the, what I was experiencing because I knew I had so much trust that these experiences would lead to something better in the future because I had practiced so much, you know, like looking at my past and, and, and that I think takes a lot of work to get to, but for anybody who's going to be in, in entrepreneurship or sales or um, trying to be like a human being on planet earth, um, you're going to go through hardships uh, and, and, and they can be these re- really defining moments. Like you said, like you said, you know, you said, you probably, it's probably not true, but you said, you know, I would, I would have disappeared uh, from the face of the earth if something like that happened. Like there's a lot of people that absolutely that's what they would do because you got to run from that feeling and you don't, you don't value it. You don't, you're not grateful for it. It's just something that needs to be avoided. But if you can change that mindset and you can run towards pain and, and danger and fear and, uh, and, and you know that that just makes you better, then uh, th- that would be the advice I would leave people with. I love it. It's so powerful. Thank you so much. Eric Arnold, the founder and CEO of Plunswell. I am, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely grateful. And I, I just kind of like want to leave it at that. I am grateful for having you today on my podcast. Uh, there's so much that people can learn from you. And for, for those, you know, that are not familiar with your story, uh, you know, uh, I think they should definitely look you up. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's fascinating. And, and I'm following your own social and, and that helps me with my own business as well. So thank you so much. And uh, I'll just leave you, I'll just leave it at that. And, you know, good luck with, you. with whatever it is you're working on. If there's anything that I, you, you, I can ever be of help to you in any capacity, please let me know. I, uh, I, I wish you all the best. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much.